Hi guys, my name is Michelle Miles and I'm a first year emergency medicine resident. My name is Val Griffith and I'm an ER and ICU doctor at Oregon Health and Science University. The goal of Get Us PPE is to get personal protective equipment like masks and gloves to healthcare professionals who need it most. If you have PPE at home, please donate it. If you're a company with the capacity to manufacture PPE, please do so. To donate or get more information, please go to getusppe.org. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, a podcast where we dive deep, deep, deep into five topics in the social media space and share our takeaways with all of you, our listeners. I'm so glad to be back. I cannot believe I let Joey host this podcast for one week. But here we are, back in action. And I'm not alone in this. I am joined by two of our regulars, some of the best in the business, Amanda and Juliana. Hello, Amanda. Morning, Kenny. Hey, Juliana. Hi, hello. And Joey's in the booth. We will not let him host again, or at least until I'm on vacation. He did a great job, everyone. Um, If you want to join me uh, on Twitter using hashtag ThanksJoey, that will be how we show our appreciation for him stepping in when duty called. All right. Enough of this chit chat. Let's jump into the five things. We are going to start by talking about the news that a Facebook audio-only room could be coming, surprising no one. Clubhouse will be launching a creator accelerator program. YouTube is rolling out shorts in the U.S., not closed, short videos. Snapchat is acquiring Fit Analytics. I wonder what they do. And then news of a kid version of Instagram spreading like wildfire all right with that let's dive right in facebook audio only rooms the rumor is spreading the facebook clubhouse clone is coming uh and this is not a major stretch for facebook to create it has already had a rooms feature since last may as a part of what they have with their um you know with messenger and with their portal that you can buy for your home. So audio has been something that Facebook has been toying with for quite some time. And now with the rise of Clubhouse and the challenger in Twitter spaces, it is not surprising to anyone that Facebook would be trying to create an audio-only room. Um, Facebook might actually have a shot here. Um, Facebook groups have 1.8 billion users already. So the notion that they would be creating something of an audio-only room tapping into that user base is not the most far-fetched thing in the whole world. Um, Definitely feels like a no-brainer. This is going to add more pressure to Clubhouse to both monetize uh, quickly and open up. Uh, It will also create pressure for Twitter to refine and finalize what's happening with Spaces, Really interesting stuff. Fascinating, fascinating, not surprising. Amanda and Juliana, what do we think? Um, I'm shocked. 
No, I think we've been waiting for this announcement and it's not a really complex feature for any of the platforms to add. So it was only a matter of time until um, they started releasing this. I'm curious of what you guys think. I, I wonder if there is, it's such a, it, it's a genius feature, but it's so simple. I wonder if there is a world in which instead of all of these platforms necessarily fighting for the same users in the same conversations, that they that this audio only feature is adopted with the existing fan base and is just popular in the niches that are thriving on each of the platforms. Like I think about what Clubhouse is being used for right now. I don't know if that specific use case and you know themes and conversations and speakers will ever translate to Facebook or Twitter. I wonder if this will just be a feature that just becomes our day to day and is kind of like folded into the existing behavior on each of the platforms instead of being the one and only audio platform. This isn't, this is not the main course, right? This is the appetizer for Facebook and Twitter. Uh, what I think has held Clubhouse back is how long it has stayed in beta and how long it has been a closed invite only community. Um, the name itself just speaks to exclusivity, which I think is very interesting. Um, I believe, you know, the article of, that I read on introducing Facebook audio only was from Social Media Today. And the analysis that they had of it was actually quite interesting. And, and I think they're right. I think Facebook has a shot with something like this. They have the user base. They have the interest-based groups. Um, audio is easy. They've, they've been toying with it for quite some time. Uh, I think this will be... Clubhouse is going to be more like Meerkat and Vine than it is like a Reddit or a Snap where it's going to emerge as its own platform. And to that point, Kenny, like Facebook doesn't have an exist or doesn't have a huge existing video content uh, like platform. People don't really go to Facebook to post their videos the way they do on Instagram. So I can see, you know, the use case and the creators on Facebook valuing the audio only aspect of it and using it a lot more because of the way they're already using Facebook. I think it'll definitely be interesting to see what type of conversations people have on Facebook, particularly, just because as you're saying, Kenny, when you think about the audience on Clubhouse, it is a lot of people who are, say, like entrepreneurs and like public speaking is kind of part of their lifestyle versus say, you know, I'm in the, this cat is chonky group. And I don't know if you'll get maybe the same uh, level of interesting conversation uh, there. And also just thinking about kind of the ability to say, like, edit your comments on Facebook and realize that you didn't want to say the thing you said and deleting it entirely versus having it kind of memorialized in audio if someone chooses to record or not. So it'll be very interesting, uh, especially in a place that, you know, basically everyone is on to see what type of content comes out of that. The real question is what brand will win the audio war? And we don't have an answer yet nor should we but i think this is where it's going all right everyone we're gonna keep talking about audio because it's interesting and this is a podcast which is also audio 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 so juliana no just kidding amanda hi i'm so rusty coming back i should just let Zoe <laughs> keep posting amanda Clubhouse launched uh, their Creator Accelerator program, and I'm particularly fascinated by this. So give us the 411. 411. Haven't heard that in a while. Um, so during Clubhouse's kind of weekly town hall, 
their CEO announced that they're going to be starting this creators program where they're going to offer aspiring hosts and content creators on the platform, I, I guess, like lessons on how to build their audience and connect with brands and specifically how to monetize their shows, which has been the huge question mark for a lot of creators, not just on Clubhouse, but in general. Um, so a couple of things, this is obviously similar to what we've been talking about with TikTok, um, Instagram and Facebook having similar creator accelerator programs. But as we were just talking about, this is kind of the point when people are going to decide where they want to use this function. Do they want to use it on Twitter? Do they want to use it on Facebook or on Clubhouse? And what I think is really interesting is Clubhouse is only one year old. So to your point, Kenny, they're still in beta. So they're still very fresh and have a chance to figure things out before going public. But one year into having a platform like this and already starting to listen to the creators, provide resources for them, TikTok didn't do that at one year. Facebook didn't do that at one year. So I think this is super promising. And when you look at where are the creators going to flock to, it's going to be a platform that is kind of looking out for them and providing resources. The other thing I was going to mention too is, I don't know if everyone knows this, but they I mentioned it, they have this weekly town hall, which is a dialogue and provides a lot of transparency between uh, the CEO of Clubhouse and the people that are using it and creating content. So if you have a weekly conversation with the people that are using your platform and you have a chance to hear what they want, what they don't want, like making slight features and updates based on the experience, that already is a recipe for creating an environment that people want to be on and make content on. So I think with all of these details, Clubhouse is slowly positioning itself into this creator hub that is going to start taking over a little bit more of the market, even as Facebook and um, Twitter launch their offerings. I think that the, and this might seem vaguely unrelated, so let me get there with you, but I think the death of Vine has been so great for all these new features and the way that social is working now, because I think this idea of, you know, the creator accelerator programs, the way that when these new features or new offerings come out, the desire of these companies to make sure that the creators are using it to its best ability and are seen to be able to um, get successful with help of the app. I think that that was kind of the biggest learning that we got from Vine where like it could have had a really great monetization opportunity, but the ball was kind of dropped and a lot of people had to figure it out themselves. And I think Clubhouse kind of recognizing that like in this young stage where you have people that are, you know, big fans of it, it's necessary to be on their side. And like you're saying, empower them as much as possible. Uh, I love it. And so big fan, but Kenny, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. I am loving the trend of the channels creating creator accelerators because I think it is long overdue to support and fund the creator economy and to get people talking and to get people investing in the the growth of the creator space. I just think it's it, it plain and simple. For far too long, I think brands were almost taking advantage of creators and and not compensating them the way that they needed deserve to be compensated and i think that this is um even more prevalent in minority communities for black creators for women creators lgbtq creators uh, and, and that is by by watching uh platforms like tiktok and snap and now clubhouse investing in the creator community i think it is long overdue and will only lead to better content and better experiences for both 
you know, consumers and brands. So uh, pony up because the creators deserve it. And that's how we continue to, to, to fund our creative renaissance that is going to be happening in a post-COVID world. Um, so bravo, but invest more. Spend more on creators. Spend, spend, spend. I don't know. Was that was that even an answer to the question, Juliana? You know, definitely. And I, you know, I think right now you've seen that when children talk about like what they want to be when they grow up, they want to be like vlog stars on YouTube. So maybe if they really put their minds to it, people will want to grow up and become clubhouse creators or, I don't know, TikTok stars. So, or game, develop- game developers. <laughs> yes. Like, I-, I love, in the time where we grew up, it was like doctor, lawyer, accountant, Science astronaut because like the 80s was like space cool yeah now it's like game developer which is so all of them are so creative i love that conversation julia i was thinking that too of like with kids wanting to they want to be creative they want to make stuff they want to create content like would you i would not say that as a child i want to grow up and make video content but it's it's such a cool creative outlet that if the platforms can try to support and resource the that thinking and and make it a career that's what the next generation of kids are going to want to do so this is not a trend this will keep i think being rolled out across all the platforms all right well with that let's keep rolling and juliana youtube is rolling out shorts in the u.s we've talked about shorts before on the podcast but let's do a quick hitter on what is happening here yeah so um as you're mentioning you know we've talked a little bit about shorts before and last month, YouTube called out that it'd be expanding its shorts video option, which is essentially, you know, for anyone that isn't already familiar, essentially TikTok, you know, short form videos. And so over the coming weeks, U- U.S. users will see a new shorts row in their main feed on the YouTube app. And also users will now get access to the shorts camera, which has like various video creation features for people to make their own shorts. So As we saw with Instagram Reels, the first few phases of the TikTok clone are going to be pretty simple until YouTube can start beefing it up with those additional capabilities like adding music or the ability to respond to other shorts and add captioning. But right now where YouTube kind of has a leg up on TikTok is that if someone decides to subscribe to your shorts, they also become subscribers to your main YouTube channel. So as far as the monetization element is concerned, people have a much greater ability to monetize their content through shorts by kind of using it as a feeder into their main channel. And of course, being able to kind of rake in the revenue from their videos in a more traditional sense. So I think as far as kind of a competing element to TikTok, we'll see where that goes. You know, it is early on, but I think that the ability for YouTube to use it as a feeder for people to have a much cleaner monetization strategy uh, will be very interesting to see how it competes. Smart. Definitely. And I I like that. I like that they are using shorts to drive subscriber bases. I think that's a really good, uh, smart approach to what they're doing. Amanda, what did Snapchat do by acquiring Fit Analytics? Thank you for that lead-in. Yeah, so they acquired Fit Analytics, which, as Kenny referred to earlier in the episode, is a startup that works with um, a lot. I think it's like 18,000 retailers already to create almost this like 3D avatar of yourself that when you're shopping online, you can play around with sizing, with colors, with everything across shoes and clothing. Um, 
all, of course, backed by a lot of very advanced data and machine learning to help you get there. So Snap acquired Fit Analytics, which is to say Fit Analytics is going to keep operating as this very successful company that it is. And so at this point, Snap's not just adding like a thousand person tech team, not just adding this like very advanced camera, but also this whole other e-commerce business as a way to monetize their own company. And why that's why I think that's really important is because they have the ability to keep making money as Fit Analytics is doing right now and take a little bit of time to figure out how this is implemented into Snapchat. So they haven't yet announced, you know, this is going to be available to brands on Snap in X amount of months because they are giving themselves that lead time to understand what is the right way to to add it into the app, if at all. Um, so I think this business plan of not necessarily, as we've been talking about all these features, like who's going to be the first platform to add, you know, AR fitting into its offering. It's not that as much as it is, you know, Snap being, they've always said they are a camera company. They don't consider themselves a social media company. And it is kind of doing this the right way and making and evolving their camera offering and then understanding what's the best way for that to play out to the consumer and the brands that are on the platform. So this is really exciting. I think this is, again, going to be the first of a lot of platforms that are adding an e-commerce, a retail, a fitting kind of component to its offering. Um, but I think Snap, by doing it this way, is much smarter and much more efficient around how those are going to be applied to most consumers. I literally, when I saw this headline, thought that this had something to do with, like, fitness. Fit, yeah. No. It's more about fit of clothing. Fit, fit of clothing. Fit, you're fit. Yeah. Which, <laughs> um, honest to God, smart for Snap but less interesting in terms of like where you take it. Cause it was, it's more of like a duh to me. I thought it was more interesting because you know how obsessed I am with the metaverse and the future of all of our avatars living in this digital world. This is already starting. You can see how this comes to life as I create my little Amanda and I put its hoodie on and its pants on and I'm like, I want to buy those. And so it already starts to visualize what I think the future of social media is not like in the next year or two, but you know, 10, 15 years. So this is, that solution to how, you know, you start to see humans in this digital space interacting with each other and, and the real world at the same time. But it was more Do you think that, uh, will your little Amanda on Snap wear the Gucci NFT sneakers? Absolutely. My fit has to be on point. I will get the NFT sneakers, yes. I feel like but, I'm going to open Snapchat in 10 years and it's going to be the most high-tech form of biometric analytics partially owned by the CIA, but, you know, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, you had to take it there, Juliana. (laughs) Now it's like depressing because honestly, I think it's so dope. I think it is so cool that like, I can't actually now, can I make my avatar now and do that? Can I like go and start building stuff? You can maybe through Fit Analytics, not through Snap. But I think, Kenny, to your point, suppose like we're looking at this hoodie and it's awesome and it's by Comme de Garçon and we put it on and we're like, oh, I wish it was like a little longer. Maybe in the future, there's a world in which we say, hey, I'd like this hoodie to be a little bit longer. And then tomorrow, the hoodie's a little bit longer. And then you can order it and it's at your door. So it's like the ability to provide data to the fashion brands to kind of have a dialogue and try things on live with the consumer. And then how does that eventually fit into the actual, you know, creation and design of clothing? Like it's I think this is like opening up a lot of doors that have been opening up, but not as accessible as Snap is making them. And I meant CIA partnership in the best way, Kenny. Right, of course. For those <laughs> listening, too. for those listening, 
Nah, just kidding. Uh, all right, we're on to our fifth thing now, and I'm excited to talk about this. Can we hear from you, Juliana, about the news that is spreading throughout the the digital verse, the internet, about a kid's version of Instagram, Kidstagram? That's not that's really fantastic. Make sure to patent or trademark that name. But yes, it it's exactly what it sounds like and we all have questions super excited to dive into it uh facebook is building a kids version of instagram so a photo sharing option that's open to children under the age of 13 uh the way the facebook is kind of phrased it is that you know there's a lot of kids that are wanting to be able to interact with their friends and obviously instagram and social media is kind of one of the main ways that people communicate now and feeling like there needs to be an option for children to be able to do that but of course under parental supervision. And so kind of using the same vein of their messenger, uh, their kids messenger app, where parents can manage their kids contact list and monitor messages. Uh, Facebook is flirting with the idea of having an Instagram that is open for kids. So uh, lots of detail will be coming, uh, you know, as we get further down the, the pike. But this is something I would love to hear your guys's opinion on. Kenny will hear his thoughts in a second. I will say I have to infer that this also comes from Facebook's success of having these kind of groups and children's resources on the Facebook app, especially while, you know, kids were learning remotely and they weren't as as connected with teachers in their school. So I know we talked um, a couple of months ago about how that that growing kids platform on Facebook was finding a lot of success. So perhaps they're trying to emulate that on Instagram. I just hope that <laughs> I hope that it's kind of done um, with the solve of providing education and correct, accurate, vetted information. Kids are going to be on the platform. It, if it's in service of giving them the best content and information, great. Um, curious to see how they run. Brands should have to go through a multi-day intensive training before they are even allowed to come within 100 digital yards of this app. This if is, they're allowed. They will be because Facebook can't help themselves. But it's it, there needs to be some serious care taken for how this is handled. I also want to understand from Facebook and Instagram before they do this, what are the anti-bullying efforts that they're planning to do? I want to understand how this is going. Like the study after study after study talks about the mental health implications of social media. Now we are going to expose kids under the age of 13 when they're in their like most vulnerable developmental stage that they will ever be in to this kind of thing. And I just want, I, I want to understand more. And like the reason for doing it is increasingly kids are asking their parents if they can join apps that help them keep up with their friends. Right now, there aren't many options for parents. So we're working on building additional products like we did with Messenger Kids that are suitable for kids and managed by parents. It's like, okay, I want to know more. I want to understand more. Anti-bullying and anti-misinformation, which, I mean, when you say misinformation and Instagram slash Facebook in the same sentence, it's almost laughable. But it's like, you know, we can barely count on the, you know, general population using social media to be able to decipher truth versus misinformation. Insane that we would try to have kids decipher that. So I hope that is part of the build out as well. I mean, similarly, when we saw with, the YouTube kids debacle back in like early 2010s, 
one of the things that was mentioned is just kind of the difficulty of vetting so much information and so much content because you know you've got at least in the in YouTube's case you know millions of hours worth of video that they have to scrub through in order to avoid another you know Spider-Man Elsa fiasco. So really interesting to see if Facebook has the infrastructure available in order to make sure that kids are as safe as possible. Kenny, to your point, because Facebook has told us many a time through their other, you know, um, efforts in trying to get rid of misinformation or or any sort of like harm or bullying or whatever have you, that it's difficult to do. And so opening themselves up to probably the most vulnerable population without having that infrastructure available is confusing, to say the least. Well, this will be revisited again on future pods because this is no doubt only the beginning. All right, Amanda. Thank you, Juliana. Thank you to all of you out there. Thank you. If you don't already, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. If you have any questions or you want to talk to us about anything at all about the show, feel free to email us at podcastsatgrade.com. You are all wonderful. I am so glad to be back. Joey thanks you. I thank you. And as always, hashtag thanks Joey. Stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.